Thank you, and let's thank Mike. Say, Mike, one other thing. Uh, so when this service ends, you could help us because for the search listening sessions, we're going to have some tables in the back. So Mike's going to guide that, but if you were willing to, to hang around and help us get this room reset for that, that would be great. So good morning. I am, my name is John, and I'm so glad to be with you, all of you. It's an, always an enjoyable experience for me. I hope it is for you. And if you're here for the first or second time, uh, we're so glad you came to worship with us. I love to meet people, so I'm going to be over by the, the uh, coat rack on that side. If you wanted to stop and say hi, I, I would, I'd, I'd enjoy that. We're in the third week of our Lenten. This is the season of Lent, kind of pre preparing our hearts to receive more of Jesus and so on. Uh, third in that series of, we're calling it Moving Forward, where we're listening in on Jesus' conversations with his disciples in John 13 through 17. Uh, we're learning how to move forward in our own lives and our own families and as a community as we watch Jesus prepare his first followers as they need to move forward uh, for the big change they're going to experience because Jesus is going back to his Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit and they are going to continue his ministry in the world. And guess what? You and I have that same opportunity they did to continue the work of Jesus in this world. It's I think pretty awesome that God wants to partner with us and give us all the wisdom and the power, the energy, the gift, whatever we need to continue his work. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, he's, he's talking to them about that in these chapters. So we read in John 13, we saw him loving his disciples to the very end. Isn't that awesome? Jesus didn't give up on anyone. He just kept coming with his great love. He washed their feet in that chapter both as a, an example for all of us to follow in loving service and it was pointing to the cross where he was going to bring cleansing for all of our sins. Aren't you glad for that? I'm so glad that all of my sins, as it were, have been washed away, not, not 94%. The 6% would be bad. Anyway, so I'm glad that it's thorough. In, in chapter 14, Jesus gives us many great and precious promises that will help us continue to trust him in the midst of whatever challenge we might ever go through. They were going through a deep challenge. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust God. Continue to trust in me. And so he helped them with promises. And then he encouraged them to get to know him better in the midst of challenge and experience his power. Now we're in John 15 this morning. And in John 15, he gives us another great and precious promise. He says these things, if we choose to remain in him, we, you and I, will bear much fruit. So a couple questions for you as we begin. What do you want most out of life? Do you want to make a difference in the world for good? Would you like to change the world so it's a better place? I grew up in a family, an education family. My dad was a superintendent of schools. My mom was a nurse. And I was, I was told from a young boy on, John, leave the world better than you found it. I think I was probably six when I heard that for the first time. I thought, what the heck does that mean, <laughs> you know, as a six-year-old? But it's always been in my heart. I always wanted to do all those things. How about living a fully flourishing life, experiencing all the joy, having all the fun you can? Isn't, wouldn't that be a great goal, Right? Uh, so I wanted all of these things my whole life. But I didn't know how to make any progress toward them. 
I didn't have the love or the power I needed. I remember I went to a really small school where I was one of the biggest classes ever. It was 31 students. <laughs> and uh, I graduated number two out of 31. And so in my period of history, when you did, when you graduated one or two, you were required to speak at commencement. I could not talk my way out of it. And my dad was a superintendent, so he said, you're doing it. Figure out something. Uh, I did not want to speak in front of people. I didn't know what to say. What do I know as a 17-year-old punk? I'm just, I just want to get my diploma and whatever money my relatives are going to give me and be done, you know? <laughs> but I had heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s talk, I Have a Dream, several times, and it always moved me. So I thought, I don't know what to say. So I went to the library and I checked out a record album. Yeah, this is before there were ever such thing as cassettes or DVDs or any digital resources. So I listened to that record over and over and over, and I kept continuing to be stirred. So I did my talk. I said something like, if you want to make a real difference in the world, you need to go up on a mountain and meet with God, and he'll change you, and when you come down the mountain, you can change the world. And I said it with all the passion in the world. I had no idea where the mountain was. I had no idea who God was. I just wanted to get the talk done. Uh, I get done with it, and the Catholic priest comes up to me, and he says, young man, there's a call of God on your life. You should be a pastor. To which, as a 17-year-old punk, I thought, why would I ever want to do that? Why would anybody ever want to do that? I'd like a real job, thank you very much, where I can make some real money and make a real difference. Da-da-da. Funny, isn't it, how God messes with your life <laughs> and changes it for the better? Well, how about you? I had a longing to make a difference but didn't know how to get there. What about you? What's a deep longing in your life? What do you want for your life? I think I know some of what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to live an even more fruitful life than you could ever dream about. He wants you to make more difference in the world for good than you could ever imagine. How in the world can we do that? John 15, I think, gives us many, many great ideas and resources to do that. Let me pray and we'll look at it. Lord, thank you so much for your word, the way you speak to us by the Holy Spirit through Scripture in community. And we ask for that today as we look at this great passage. We thank you, Jesus, for wanting to prepare those first followers so well so they can step forward into all you had for them. We thank you that you've never changed, that you want to do that with us today by the Holy Spirit, helping us move forward into your purposes for our lives personally, as a family, and as a larger mercy family. So we thank you in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at John 15, 1 to 4. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Basically, that's the message of Jesus' birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, so on. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in in me. All right, this is an interesting and wonderful passage. Jesus says he's the true grapevine. What in the world does that mean? Now, the, those first hearers were Jewish. 
So they'd read the Old Testament, so this made, I think, complete sense to them because the vine is a common dominant symbol of the people of God in the Old Testament. In fact, even on the temple in Jesus' day, there was this huge gold vine that took up one wall, and uh, people that had resources would bring living things to put into that vine and so on. So people saw it all the time. Now here's a couple Old Testament passages that speak of this. Psalm 80 (coughs) says this, and this is, this is an awakening psalm. This is a cry of the people of God that they knew things weren't fully the way God wanted in their lives and community, and they wanted more. They wanted to experience more, to give more, to be more. So this is a great actual prayer for us to pray even today. Here it is, Psalm 80. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. It's interesting, you know, one of the things that that I pray all the time is for God to help me pray. And that might say, excuse me, you are praying when you're doing that. Yes, I am. But I need to learn to pray. I, I struggle praying sometimes. I, I struggle hearing, well, what might be the best? Or can I, do I have the energy to sustain praying about this for the long haul? Because I don't know about your life, but things don't change instantly in my life. It takes time. So turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us. We took root, filled the land. Come back, we beg you, O God of heaven's armies. Look down from heaven. See our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted, this sun you have raised for yourself. So then he, he switches images from a grapevine to a sun. What is that about? Well, Israel was collectively called the son of God, the child of God, and it was to be a faithful and fruitful son. So now Jesus picks this up and he says, he's the true vine, he is the unique son. Now, Isaiah 27, 2 and 3 also speak of this vine. This is like a prophetic picture Isaiah, by the Holy Spirit, looking forward to what the Messiah is going to do. In that day, sing about the fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, will watch over it, watering it carefully. Day and night, in our vernacular, 24-7, I will watch so that no one can harm it. God has committed to his people all through time that we would be fruitful. Now, Israel struggled, and in the main, they didn't always follow and it's not going to come up on the screen, but you could read Isaiah 5, and it talks about God says, haven't I done everything for my vine? And yet, I looked for sweet grapes, but I got bitter ones. What were the sweet grapes? The sweet grapes were love and justice. The bitter ones were injustice and violence. And so Israel struggled to remain faithful. So now Jesus comes forward and he says, you know, I'm the true grapevine. I'm going to form a new people of God, Jew and Gentile, can connect to me, experience my life, and bear much fruit into the world. So it's an amazing image. Now, tell me, we are mercy blank church. What's in the blank? We are mercy what? Vineyard. Huh, how did we get that name? Interesting, a little history here. Ken Gullickson who was a musician, one of the early Maranatha music people. He had a, a wonderful album called Charity. It was kind of a one-hit wonder. The word, that song Charity was great. I sold albums at that time. 
Yeah, I didn't really sell many of Kent's, even though they were good. Uh, he was a pastor. He was a Calvary Chapel pastor, soft-spoken, unassuming leader with a passion to know and walk with God. And he was sent by Calvary Chapel to plant a church in West Los Angeles in 1974. This would become known as the very first Vineyard Church. People from all walks of life, including actors and musicians whose names would be familiar to us today, people like Bob Dylan came to Jesus in this church. T-Bone Burnett, Keith Green, Peter Frampton, they were all gathering with regular ordinary welders and architects and, and teachers and so on in this first vineyard. And from that church, the very first vineyard, other vineyards were planted in 1975. Now, believing God had instructed him to do so, Ken officially gave the name Vineyard because he'd read Isaiah 27, he'd read John 15, 5, and he felt like God said to him, I want this new community to be a living, organic community that will connect and receive life from me, share it with each other, love each other, and share that with the larger world that I so love. And so relationship has been at the center of what it means to be part of the Vineyard family of churches from the very first day. And it probably, in my opinion, is our key core value, relationship with God, with each other, and with the world around us. And we express it in all kinds of different ways. So Ken started, and he led the, the movement for about the first five years. And then John Carroll Wimber, who had been raised in the Quaker church, became part of Calvary Chapel, were on a journey to experience more of the Holy Spirit. They met with Ken, and by 1982, it became clear that John was emerging as the leader of a growing group of churches that wanted to connect and be part of this vineyard family. Today there are 2,400 vineyards all over the world in 95 different nations. So it's, a, it's probably a lot more going on than you may realize. This is one of the things I think that can help us. We know we're part of something bigger. Being part of Mercy Vineyard I think is a wonderful thing. But you're part of something bigger than Mercy Vineyard as well. One of the ways you can experience the benefits of this is by coming to things that are extra local. That's a church word for outside mercy. Okay. So at the end of May at River Heights Vineyard, the church Sue and I founded 30 years ago, Steve Nicholson is coming for three days on the Holy Spirit. For leaders, for people, for all of us to, to find ways to connect more with the Holy Spirit, learn how to pray, learn how to worship, learn how to share what God's doing. I would invite you, we will keep talking about this, but I invite you to set aside the last weekend of May. I think it starts on the Thursday, and it goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We'd love to have you involved. All right, so Jesus and the Father actively care for the branches of this vine. Jesus provides life and nourishment. What does the Father do? Well, the Father prunes and purifies every branch or person that bears fruit at all so they can bear more fruit. Are you bearing any fruit in your life right now? I'm sure you are. And guess what? The Father loves to prune you. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad you came today? Oh, I get to hear about being pruned. <laughs> but God wants to prune you so that you can bear even more fruit. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, who acknowledges he is a terrible gardener, the only thing he can do is plant and care for rose bushes well. And so he's got a quote up here about pruning. A rose bush, left to itself, will get straggly and tangled. The more I read this, I think, is he talking about my life or a rose bush? Anyway, uh, and grow in on itself. 
it will produce quite a lot of not-so-good roses rather than a, sing a smaller number of splendid ones. It will quite literally get in its own light. It needs help to go in the right directions and to the right ends. So you prune a rose bush to stop it wasting its energy being unproductive. You cut out particularly the parts of the plant that are growing inwards and not getting tangled. Yeah, he probably is talking about my life. <laughs> Maybe yours? Maybe our life at Mercy Vineyard? Could it be possible that we're in some kind of pruning process, personally and corporately? I'm going to show you a video now. that Derek Prince uh, talks through this. Derek was a wonderful Jewish believer that took Jesus as his Messiah. But there's a video here about pruning that you'll see, I think, what pruning is actually like. God the Father is pictured as a gardener. He is anxious that the fruitful branch will become more fruitful, so he prunes it for its own sake. And to the uninitiated, it looks exceedingly cruel. Sometimes only a stump is left, jagged and scarred to face the storms and the cold of winter. But when the spring or the summer arrives, there is much fruit. The sharp pruning knife has after all brought a blessing. With such a vine dresser to prune us, and with such a vine to abide in, God has made every possible provision for our fruitfulness. He has a right to expect us to become increasingly fruitful. That is increasingly like Jesus. I have friends that live in Cannon Falls area, south of Invergrove. They're actually planting in the process, early stages of planting a vineyard church, but they actually own a vineyard. And so I've chatted with them some about, and they do this kind of work all the time. And they say, you need to do it at the right time before all the life starts flowing again in the spring. So you kind of got to get ahead of things and you cut it back. And did, did that look painful at all, seeing that stuff cut back and gnarled and not very attractive at all? But then did you see the fruit that came later? More fruit, better quality fruit. God knows what he's doing. He is a gardener. So the Father prunes us so we can bear even more fruit. And everyone who follows Jesus, without exception, will experience pruning. You might be experiencing some of it right now in your life. The good news is God is really good at it. He knows exactly what to prune and when. Here's some passages. Hebrews 12.6 talks about this whole aspect of pruning. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes. That might be a little harsh of a word for, you, for your ears. He's basically saying he kind of calls to account. He helps us see what needs to change and helps us change. Each one he accepts as his child. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. Can you say out loud with me? Always good for me. Always good for me. Say the longer phrase. God's discipline is always good for me. 
<laughs> Some of you said that kind of tentatively. <laughs> I get it. It hurts. It just does. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. <laughs> yes. You said that with more, more gusto. We know, don't we? I played a lot of basketball in high school and some in college. And uh, at my period of history, there was a comic strip called Dick Tracy. Anybody ever heard of Dick Tracy? Uh, so Dick Tracy, one of the things about Dick Tracy was hands up. You know, he was a police officer. And so our coach liked to do what he called Dick Tracy drills. That meant you ran laps with your hands up, 10 laps, 20 laps. If we hadn't had a very good game the week before, 30 laps. It's hard to run 30 laps with your hands up. And then he would have a shuffle in a defensive stance like this, back and forth. It seemed like for hours, it probably wasn't, our quads would be burning. Discipline is painful. But afterward, we were the best defensive team in the entire conference in basketball. He trained us. God is interested in training you to be your very best self, to be, to be like Jesus coming through your personality. So look, at afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. God loves you, you and I so much that he accepts us just the way we are. We come just the way we are. How can we come any other way? And he loves you and I too much to leave us the way we are. He works with us. He prunes. I'm going to tell you this little story about pruning that I've experienced. Sue and I had felt this message from God. We were to be part of something new. He was bringing a chapter to a close. A new one was about to begin. And we didn't know where. We didn't know with who. We didn't know what. So I was looking to hear from God every way I could. So I heard about a meeting in Bloomington. There was about 100 leaders there. And there was a, a vineyard person that had a good prophetic gift. His name was Larry. And so I went wanting to hear from God. And Larry, interestingly and unusually, had some positive prophetic word for 98 of those 100 people. And his assistant had words for two people, the young African-American man and me. And uh, the word to the young African-American guy, like, wasn't all that positive. So I was thinking, uh-oh. And so he looks at me and he says, young man, can you step forward? So I did. I'm glad he called me a young man. I was in my early 30s then. He said, you're full of selfish ambition and pride. And I thought, oh, that isn't a good start. And Bloom where you're planted. In years to come, you'll have a significant ministry in the body of Christ. Uh, I interpreted that was, sit down, shut up, and be a good boy for a change, and maybe I'll use you. I wanted to die. This was in front of 100 people. Many of my new, all over the Twin Cities leaders, I thought, oh, if I'm that kind of a schmuck, I shouldn't plant a church. I shouldn't maybe even be alive. Take me to heaven now, Jesus. I have a little problem with catastrophic thinking, you know, and making things extreme. <laughs> but I felt terrible. So staff members and friends tried to help me say, John, that wasn't really a true word from God. I said, are you sure? Well, hardly any of it was true. And I said, well, what was? Well, you struggle with selfish ambition and pride just like any other human, but you're not full of it. It just doesn't mark your life. Anyway, I couldn't shake it, talked to my wife, and I said, I don't know if we should plant this church. And she said, come on. God's dealing with us. He'll deal with that. And uh, so we prayed, and basically we prayed like this, Lord, would you cut this out of my life? Would you break the power of selfish ambition and pride? Whatever's there that's going to get in the way of you doing what you want, I don't want to be in the way. That helped. We go to a, a larger meeting where the current vineyard pastors in the area were praying, and they wanted to pray for us. And so I thought that was great. 
as they began to pray, one of the people said, you know that word you heard, John? It wasn't a true word from God, but God let you hear it to sift you, to sort out whatever was like that in your life. So you And wanted to see how are you going to respond. And the Lord's really pleased. You want that gone. And so does he, and he's working. So relax. I, that was helpful. Then they start praying for us. And uh, a fellow steps back and he says, I think I have a word for you, John. I said, sure. And I'm thinking, oh, I hope this is a good one. And <laughs> he says, uh, there's been a critical spirit over your life for years that's really wanted, that's caused you to be incredibly self-critical so much that you just don't do a lot of things because you stop yourself in your own tracks. And it leaks out and you've been highly critical of other people. And I just erupted. I just felt like that's true. That's so true. And I don't want that. So I started confessing my sins just publicly. You know, it's interesting. When repentance is happening to you, John White says repentance in the Hebrew word means relief. You're being relieved of something that... You know, God says, you can be free of this. You don't have to carry this anymore. You don't have to be this way. That's what I felt. I didn't care. Who knew? So I started confessing, you know, how I'd been a critical person in all kinds of situations. I was, like, on the roll so much, maybe a little foolishly, I confessed that I'd really been critical of our lead pastor who was standing to the left of me. That probably would have been better to say that privately to him than in front of everybody. But I was just on a roll, so uh, (laughs) I exhaust myself of confessing. And then, and they let me do it, which is a really wise spiritual thing. They didn't stop and say, oh, John, you're not that, it's okay, you're not that bad. Friends, that actually doesn't help people. When God's doing something in their lives that's serious and and so on, and you try to get in the way and be Miss or Mr. Merciful, you can stop it. God's merciful. He's more merciful than you and I'll ever be. And if he's doing that, let it flow. So they did. And then they did this. He said, okay, God's forgiven you. Now we're going to break the power of the Spirit. And so they called out. They said, in the name of Jesus, we command you critical spirit that has messed with John for years to get off of him right now. Leave him. Be gone. And, and I know this is freaky, and I'm not trying to like freak you out, so I'll talk more about it later if you want to. Something left me. Something that had always, I think, energized, inflamed, the stuff in my life and made it much worse. That left. I am so glad. But what was God doing? He was pruning some stuff that he knew were not going to be helpful for us planning a church because he wanted us to be really fruitful. He wanted the church to be really fruitful. He wanted our lives to be. Friends, you can trust God. He's a good gardener and he will prune because he loves you and he wants the best for you. Now, Uh, Can I just ask you to think with me about something for Mercy Vineyard right now? You know, we've gone through an earthquake. We've gone through a calamity with founding pastors needing to step away to tend to their own lives. And by the way, they are. I uh, had coffee with Jeff last week for an hour. It was a great conversation. I can tell you more later if you're interested. But uh, I was real happy for that. He wanted to make amends to me, and he did. So, But we've gone through an earthquake. Is it possible that God is using the pain, the struggle, the real suffering we've gone through to prune some things? So that Mercy, who has always been a fruitful church, always been a fruitful vineyard, will be even more fruitful. I just present it to you. I'm not telling you that I have the last word on anything. But I think so. I think something's going on for good.
when we can trust God, he's a good gardener. He loves mercy. Now, Paul went through this in 2 Corinthians 1.8. You can see it in the passage coming up. He tells people, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed, overwhelmed, beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. Maybe you thought that in the last year. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Paul went through pruning. Peter went through pruning. He denied Jesus three times. And Jesus warned him about it. And he, he did it. And then Jesus restored him and he became a wonderful leader. Jesus himself went through pruning. You say, where is that in the Bible? Ephesians, excuse me, Hebrews 5.7 says, Jesus, though he was a son, learned obedience from the things that he suffered. If that's, so he did that so that he could help you and I as we go through our pruning, suffering process. God prunes us so that we will bear much more fruit. Now, we will bear much fruit as, as we remain, if we remain in Jesus. So John 15, 5 to 11 says this. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who remain in me, and I in them, wonderful, organic, living relationship with Jesus here, will produce what kind of fruit? Much fruit. I would just say to you, God's plan for you as a fruitful person is much larger than you can imagine. Much more. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you and I both know we can do a ton of things apart from Jesus. I've been busy my whole life apart from Jesus. I've been busy apart from Jesus while I've been following Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe you have been too. <laughs> so we can do things. The problem is they don't really bear any fruit. They're not fruitful. They're not productive. They're like that rose bush where you turn it on yourself and you get all tangled up, you know. <clears throat> But we can't bear the kind of fruit Jesus wants apart from him. Anyone who doesn't remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. I asked my friend once in their vineyard, I said, what are all those branches over there just stacked up? He said, well, those, you know, we gave them a year, we gave them two years, we gave them three years, absolutely no fruit on them. They were taking up space in the ground, so we had to cut them out. And I said, what are you going to use them for? Oh, we're going to have a campfire and roast hot dogs. That's all you can do with those. Jesus is just being true here. He's not being mean. He's just being, this is what you do in a vineyard. You clean, you clean things. There are parts of my life that, truth be told, yeah, that's not very productive. Yeah, boy, it'd be good to have that thing cut out so that the energy could go somewhere else that's really fruitful. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this will bring great glory to my Father. What does that mean? What does, it bring glory to, what does bringing glory to God mean? Sometimes that's kind of like vague. Like, really? What? Glory to God means that God is more famous. He's more well-known. He's more seen. His love, his mercy, his power, his freedom, his kindness, his beauty is more visible to others. And so as you and I bear fruit, as we remain in Jesus and bear fruit, guess what? God becomes more visible in this world and people are drawn to him. 
because of his beauty, because of his goodness. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you would be filled with my joy. Your joy will overflow. So how can we know if we're remaining in Jesus? You might say, well, John, I really want that. I've kind of wanted that my whole life since I came to Jesus. How do you know if you are? I would say I see four things in this passage that help me know, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with Jesus. One, we value Jesus' words. His words remain in us. They're important to us. What he teaches about God and who you and I are and what life is and how to do life, it becomes increasingly important. We want to know it. That means why, that's why I read the Bible. I read the Bible not just to get more knowledge. I want to meet Jesus. I want to know Jesus and how he thinks about this. When I, was, when I became a dad, I thought, oh, Jesus, could you help me? I've never been a dad before. I want to be a good father. And he's been helping me for all these years now we're grandparents of 12 and our son Sam and his wife had twins a week ago Monday Joshua John ah, and Benjamin Gary Amanda's and they're awesome and in the midst of it Amanda was bleeding and couldn't they couldn't stop the bleeding it was a concern she was going to live and if she was going to live, that she might have to have a hysterectomy. And they want more kids than three. And you can all say, really? But anyway, they do. Uh, but thank God. Prayers of people here. Prayers of people of River Heights. All their friends. The bleeding stopped. She's fine. And the babies are good. I'm so grateful. So grateful. Jesus' words about being a dad and a grandpa and a good person, they've become increasingly important to me. So you'll know as you're remaining in Jesus... Are his words becoming more important to you? Second, can you pray with confidence that your prayers are going to be answered? It says here, ask anything you want and he'll do it. That seems like carte blanche, right? Way to go, blank check from Jesus. <laughs> Think of the context. If my words are remaining in you, then ask for whatever you want and it will be given to you. Why? Because as, your wor as his words remain in you, you get lined up with what Jesus thinks is important, with what's what he really wants in the world. And when you and he line up, bam, it will happen. I'm not saying it'll happen instantly. Most good things do not happen instantly. They take time. But I'm telling you, you can count on it because if you're connecting with Jesus and, and your prayers are lining up with what he wants, he says he's going to do it. Now, I, I get that there's a ton of other questions I've just provoked. I don't have time to answer those today. Maybe in another talk we'll talk about the reality of unanswered prayer. One thing I'll say on that is Billy Graham once said, Billy Graham's wife once said, I'm so glad God has not answered all my prayers because I'd have been married to four different men if that was the case. <laughs> and I would have missed Billy. You know, I'm glad God didn't answer all my prayers. Some of my prayers were dumb. <laughs> you know, they just were. I didn't try to make them dumb. They just were. So you can pray with confidence. Three, you will love Jesus more and more and more and want to obey his commands. He has the best ideas about life. If you, le if you learn to believe that, 
you'll trust him more. And for you'll be filled with the greatest joy imaginable, the joy of Jesus himself. Hebrews, I think it's 1.9 says, because you love righteousness, Jesus, and hate wickedness, I'm going to anoint you with the oil of joy beyond anyone else who's ever lived. Jesus was the most joyful person who ever lived. And he wants to give you and me his kind of joy, his joy that's strong, his joy that will give you the strength to go through anything, his joy that will help open you up more and more to God's goodness. How do you know if you're remaining in Jesus? You know, his words are more and more valuable to you. You have a greater confidence your prayers are going to be answered because you're lining up with his words. Your love for Jesus is going to grow, and your joy will be full. He finishes with John 15, 12 to 17. I'm just going to read it and make one comment, and then we're going to worship. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now here in that, I know there's lots of discussions and challenges in the church about what in the world God's choice choice of us is and ours. But please, can you just back off from that a second? What he's trying to say to you is, I love you so much, I am choosing you. I'm going to you. How many of you have ever been like waiting to either play in a band or a game or something and you wanted to be chosen? Maybe it's a play. You wanted to be chosen. I grew up in small towns. We moved around a lot. I always felt nervous about meeting friends. And so I'd come to want to play baseball or basketball and I'd be in the line and two people were going to choose and I'd be saying, oh, please. Not, help me not to be last again. Anybody ever feel that way? Like you're just missed? Jesus doesn't miss you. He chooses you. You know, my wife has a wonderful, our kids say about my wife something super wonderful. They all say this, there's six of them. I'm mom's favorite. No, you're not. I'm mom's favorite. No, you're not. I'm mom's favorite. Six of them all think they're her favorite. I think that's awesome. Do you know you're God's favorite? You're God's favorite, you're God's favorite, you're God's favorite, you're God's favorite, right? We don't have to compete for that because he's choosing us. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, not just quantity, but quality, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command, love each other. Jesus talks a lot about friendship here. I remember reading this before Sue and I started the church and, I, and I'd been around lots of pastors, and some of them had said things like this, you need to have a professional distance with, from the people, you know, you can't be like too close to the people because you might need to say some challenging things to them, you know, you can't like be friends with the people because then they'll wonder, well, how come John's, they're my, that person's friend and not my friend, da-da-da. And I just thought, I don't think I can live that way. I think I'll die. I think this pastoring thing will be terrible for me. I can't do it. And then I read this and I felt like Jesus said, why would you want to do that? These were my friends. Make friends, John. Be friends. Be my friend. Be other people's friends. Two things about friends that I've learned. Good friends always let you into their life. 
They're honest, they open up their hearts to you, and they're willing to be vulnerable. That's how you can know them. Jesus is the ultimate good friend. He shows his friendship most supremely at the cross. He made himself absolutely vulnerable, opened his heart, and gave his life for us. Second thing I know about good friends, nobody's perfect at this, but good friends will not let you down. Now, they might for a moment, but my good friends circle back and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I wasn't there. I couldn't quite give you what I you needed, but I'm here now. I'm here for you. Good friends let you in. Good friends won't ultimately let you down. Jesus on the cross showed us that he's absolutely committed to making friends with us. Have you become a friend of Jesus? I hope so, and if somehow that's fuzzy and you didn't realize it, you could be here. You can be, and you could start today, or you could grow closer today. If we could have the worship folks come back now, we're going to respond by worshiping as they're getting ready to lead us. Questions. Have you become a friend with Jesus? Where's your friendship at with Jesus? Do you want to grow closer to Jesus? Experience his friendship and love for you more. Love him more. Is the Father pruning you in some area of your life now? If he is, I know it hurts. I know it's hard. But he loves you and he's really good at what he does. And we would like to pray for you that you can experience his goodness and love. So we want, to res- we want to respond to Jesus as we sing. We also have communion at the corners. You can meet Jesus in communion. Uh, we're going to have prayer people at the sides as well. Uh, you can meet Jesus as they pray with you. We had some awesome times in the first service praying with people. And then we're going to be giving. So you'll see baskets come by. Don't feel any pressure to give. Many of you probably give electronically like I do, and that's awesome. But you might give other ways. You can meet Jesus in your giving. And can I say this? Thank you for your giving. Thank you for giving financially and with your time and your energy. That enables us as a community to do what Jesus wants. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you desire us to bear more fruit than we could ever imagine. Thank you, Father, that you're really good at uh, pruning so that we can bear more fruit. Thank you, Jesus, that you want to remain in us and be our friends and have a growing friendship our whole life long. Lord, wherever we are right now, we want to say, yes, we want to take our next step toward you. In the midst of challenge, we want to run to you. In the midst of joy, we want to run to you. We want that personally. We want that as a community. And Lord, we want to be able to share your love and goodness and joy with everyone that we can in our neighborhoods where we go to school or work. We thank you that you're changing us for the better. And we thank you that we can partner with you in seeing this world changed for the better. So please come and touch us as we worship now, we ask in Jesus' name.